The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever, interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? And welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today, we radiate peace with Lisa Samet, who is the author of Emotional Repatterning, Healing Emotional Pain by Rewiring the Brain. Well, hello, Lisa. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And you're from, um, you're currently in Montreal. Yeah. North. Yeah. Way of North in the in the cold uh, March winter that is hopefully coming to an end soon. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, absolutely! Right, right, right. And um, you've got some really fascinating work going on here with the brain. Now, have you always worked with the brain and rewiring the brain? Well, that's a good question. Uh, always is a long time, I guess. It, I guess I could answer that by saying uh, I'm a naturopathic doctor, and I've been working in my clinic in Montreal for over 20 years. And I actually started out more using general naturopathic and homeopathic approaches to work with patients because, well, particularly with homeopathy, it's a very holistic treatment. So it, it works with patients on the physical, mental, and emotional level. So uh, I did that for many, many years. And as time went by, I began to realize that although maybe I had prescribed a great remedy for people or people were doing really better, and oftentimes also on the emotional level, there that happened commonly that people were still maybe depressed or anxious or unhappy with their circumstances or, you know, maybe their sleep disorders were caused by thinking too much at 4 a.m. or various things like that. So I started getting hungry for a way to approach my patients uh, really more on the emotional level, uh, specifically on the emotional level. 
to try to find, you know, a better way of approaching life, a better way of seeing life. And of course, this is also relevant to me and everybody else uh, because we all struggle at times. So I think in the last five years in particular, uh, I've spent a lot more time working with patients on the emotional level and understanding more about subconscious beliefs and rewiring our thinking patterns so that we don't suffer as much. Absolutely. So this this sounds very in-depth, rewiring the brain. Um, so I'm assuming this is not done with surgery. This is not done with <laughs> invasive methods. Right. So, you know, maybe another way to say it is that we want to we want to do some deep learning mm-hmm. and we want to uh, substitute better beliefs and patterns of thinking with for older beliefs and patterns of thinking. So when we can learn or relearn things that help us approach circumstance, people, relationships, jobs, or simply our own lives better, that's in a sense rewiring. It's not like, you know, physical rewiring. It's more imprinting a new pattern of how we can see life, which gives us a lot more peace and a lot more happiness and moves us out of suffering, anxiety, and depression, which, you know, a huge percentage of the population, and you probably know this, are on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. And that's astonishing. I don't think most of the people on that would, would want to be on that for life. I think people want to solve the problems, not put band-aids on the problems. And those medications can serve uh, appropriate temporary benefits, but I think a lot of people find that they get stuck on them for two, three, ten years after. And maybe, you know, there's another approach, which is to relearn how to approach our problems, which unfortunately we are never taught as children growing up, which is astonishing on some level. Yeah, that is rather astonishing because we all have emotions. We all have trauma. We all have pain. You would think that we would learn. I mean, we've been around on this planet for millions of years. You would think that we would have learned to deal with these things adequately by now. Right. You know, I, I it's, it's, it's how I started the first uh, chapter in my book, Emotional Repatterning. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I basically say, you know, how many years of schooling have I done? I mean, like, wow, a, a lot of schooling and, and many people have done a lot of schooling. And I was raised by parents who were, you know, pretty smart and, you know, raised us well. And after working with patients on this very deep level for so many years and realizing that, you know, honestly, we all have similar patterns, you know, that the details might be different, right. but we're all struggling with more or less the same stuff. I started to, to, to wonder, like, why didn't anybody ever tell us this? I mean, this is not unique to me. It's not unique to you. It's like, why did nobody ever say this? Why did nobody ever teach me some of these things? And, and then I, I quickly realized it's because they themselves didn't know. 
I mean, I don't think my parents understood any of this. I don't think the people who taught me in school understood anything of this. So how could anybody teach me what they themselves didn't know? So I, I think that there's a climate maybe now on this planet of a hunger to look deeper and try to discover what's happening in our deepest well and deal with some of the demons there and learn how to approach life in a better way simply because we're all tired of suffering. And that's the premise of the book. Oh, absolutely. Well, the Buddha said the only cause of suffering is attachment to an outcome, you know, whatever that outcome is, or just attachment in general. So whatever we attach right. to, we have to have life this way, that way, things need to be like this, etc. Um and so we all do have this suffering. And, you know, I know here in the Midwest, I know you were, were raised in New York, but in the Midwest, we have a tendency to stuff down emotions. Right. <laughs> we, have, we have a tendency to bury that and right. to eat it right. well. Right. So how do we make that shift from not dealing with emotions or denying emotions to accepting them and, and moving on? Well, it's a great question. And I think the reason why so many of us go into a default mode of pushing things under the rug and not dealing and not wanting to look at it is because we don't know what we would do if we did look at it. We don't know what we would then do if we didn't stop it because like we just said, we don't have any skills or tools with which to help us deal with it. So, I mean, it just seems too scary. What if I bring all that stuff out and I lay it all out in front of me? Now what am I going to do? I mean, that's going to be overwhelming and horrible, so I might as well just stuff it back in. Absolutely, right, because then I'd have to deal with it. How do I do that? And you don't know how to deal with it. How would you know how to deal with it? I certainly am one of the more emotionally intelligent people that I know. It's not to say I don't have other faults because I'm sure I do. But, you know, even in my own life with various things that have come up uh, personally, you know, even if I was willing to look at it, you, you get stuck in that stuff because, you know, you don't know actually how to get out of it. You don't know how to work with it. Wow. And, you know, many patients of mine have been in therapy and I have been in therapy and I, I love therapy because you can get to talk about all your stuff. And, you know, my mother did this and my father did that and this person and then all these things happened to me. And but I found and many people find that it's interesting. We kind of we learn why we got into this mess. Yeah. But often there aren't really tangible tools and techniques to make a big and deep paradigm shift about how we show up with those problems. And so I think the tool that I'm trying to introduce is very much directed to change, not, not really understanding it all, but just saying, here's where I am, it's not working for me. So how do I relearn some very deep and subconscious beliefs that I have about who I am, about the world, about how I show up in the world, about who I am in relationships. Mm -hmm. How do I relearn some of the things that are stuck deeply in there, ways that I see things now that don't serve me, that cause me to suffer? What if I were to just change my deep beliefs about who I am primarily? Mm -hmm. Right. Wouldn't I show up better automatically then? 
Right. Oh, oh, I love that. So I have a question. Perhaps it's a really big question. There's many parts to it. First, um, how did you discover this method to rewire the brain? Second is how does it differ from traditional talk therapy? And then third, you're a naturopath. You deal with the physical body. How did you get into the brain and emotion? Not hard science. Well, you know, what we learn in naturopathic school and what was obvious to me in 20 years of practice is that there's no way to separate the emotions and the physical body. So, you know, anyone entering that field who has that disillusion that, you know, we're treating the body or the physical boo-boos quickly realizes when talking to people that headaches come from stress and uh, irritable bowel syndrome comes from, you know, maybe anger or stress. And, you know, the body and the mind are connected. And, and, and I think that that's been a great really learning uh, in the past few years. And I, I'm not even sure medical doctors really take that on board as, as much as naturopaths and homeopaths do who have a much more holistic view. Right. So, you know, as you talk with people, and I'm sure if you look at your own life and I look at mine, I realize that when I'm not feeling well, there's often stress going on, you know, more than the average ongoing stuff. Right. And then the flip side of that is when you're under stress, you tend to not feel very well. Right. Exactly. So that's, that's exactly it. The stress, the emotional stress causes physical disease in many people. I mean, we can't say, you know, in every case, because there are some people that don't appear to have any stress that have certainly illnesses and are very sick. But often as you dig back into the history, when you're, when I'm talking with a patient, yeah, you know, they got sick in 2018 and 2017, they got divorced or they got fired or their neighbor and them had a fight or their kid, uh, you know, went on drugs and, there's always stress. And so when we don't deal with that stress well, which P.S. most of us don't, it can affect our physical health. So they are not separate. So, you know, as if we needed another incentive, um, aside from just trying to live more peacefully, this certainly is one because, you know, who wants to be sick? So let's, let's figure out what we're struggling with and let's figure out how to look at things better. Because that's the key. It's the way we perceive what's happening that causes us to suffer, right? It's not exactly the facts of what's happening or just the facts of what's happening. We will all perceive the facts differently. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the film Rashomon points that out. Um, we see things very, very differently. And so, so how, did you, how did you come upon your method to rewire the brain? Right. So that's a great question. So I would say, you know, five or six years ago, I got more interested, as I said earlier, in trying to work with patients in a, on a, in a, in a way that would be very effective and quick. I mean, that's the key word, quick, yeah. to have them change how they approach their lives. Right. And the first course I did, which I didn't even realize was going to be so instrumental to me, was in 2013, I took a, a course to learn something called Brain Gym. Have you ever heard of Brain Gym? Vaguely. Can, can you explain that? Yeah. Well, I had a lot of children in my practice who had learning difficulties, ADHD, autism spectrum disorders. And I was looking at that time for uh, techniques and tools to work with these children to help them learn better. 
And I came upon this brain gym technique, which had been found in numerous years before I had taken a course in it. And it's about how to um, get the brain in a mode of presence and deep learning. Mm. Okay, and so there are various techniques that you do mm. to integrate learning using the right and left hand sides of the brain together cohesively to make both sides of the brain work well together. And when you're in that state, you learn better and you learn deeper. So at the time I was learning that, I didn't realize that, you know, X number of years later, I would be using that with patients in my office to try to do some deep learning on the emotional level. At that time, it was more to work with children to show up in school better or with tutoring or homework better to put their brain in a state of calm, focus, and the ability to learn. And it involves using physical techniques that basically cross the right and left sides of the body, which then engages the right and left sides of the brain. And in that mode, the brain is able to learn in a deep way. That was the beginning of it. Since then, I was trained in four or five different techniques about how to work with people on the emotional level, each one more interesting than the one before. And I can say personally, I benefited greatly from all that work because I got to sort out my own things better. But fast forward, you know, eight years since I started that journey, I kind of made an amalgamation of everything that I learned into something that I use with patients in my office on a regular basis. And after starting to work with patients like this and then years went by, I realized, you know, we're all struggling with the same basic things. And I call them in my book, Emotional Repatterning, I call those things thinking traps. And I have highlighted eight thinking traps, ways that we get stuck. And so, you know, maybe if you were familiar with the eight, I know you've looked at the book, maybe, you know, three of them speak to you. Maybe all eight of them speak to you, but I would say we all get stuck in these to one degree or another. So part of the book is talking about how we think, how we could be thinking better about the situations that we're in, or basically perceiving things better, challenging our perceptions or the stories we tell ourselves about what we're involved with, challenging that to try to see things better on a conscious level. Mm. And then the second part of the book goes into how to rewire the brain, which is a fancy way of saying replace old beliefs that are not serving us with new beliefs and better beliefs and deeply imprint and implant those new beliefs using this technique of both sides of the brain in deep learning to, to believe better things about ourselves primarily because so much of where we err and where we have misperceptions comes from our own relationship with ourselves. And would that, were that to be better, everything gets better on the outside, which, I mean, once I say that seems, of course, rather obvious, right? It's just a matter of how to get there. Oh, absolutely. And so this, this change within the brain, is that, is that lasting? 
Well, in my experience, it's totally lasting. And I'll give you a good example of why that is. I mean, there's no fancy research study of double-blind placebo control that I can cite for you. But there is plenty of research on deep learning and subconscious beliefs. Um, but, you know, um, there, are, there are patients that I see and we try to get to some of these deep and subconscious beliefs that seem to be at the core of why they are suffering in their lives. Right. And we realize as we get into that, that these beliefs could be 40 or 50 years old. That these are not things that they, they tripped upon last week. These are things that their mother said, their father told them, their teacher said, a kid in the schoolyard said. And people believe, oh, I'm not good, I'm not smart, I'm not lovable, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I'm, I'm, I'm too short, I'm, I'm not a good person, uh, I, sh I shouldn't trust my instincts, I make bad decisions. People believe a lot of really bad stuff about themselves. And it's in the subconscious mind, it's very deep, so we're not always very aware of that. But I know that the changes are permanent because I know that these things that are in there can be in there for, you know, an incredibly and extraordinarily long time. When we then go change that belief and we replace the bad belief with the better belief, mm -hmm. those replace the old things. And although I've only been doing this work for five or six years, in particular working with these deep beliefs, when I see old patients who I have done this work with, there's absolutely no doubt that the new beliefs that we have, you know, quote unquote, rewired are, are now the foundation for how they see and approach their lives. And, you know, the, the stories and the changes that people have are extraordinary. So I really do feel it's, you know, permanent, as permanent as anything can be. And now I just wanted to send a shout out to some of our supporters. Julian, John, James, Marissa, Charlotte, Pauline, Becky, and Louise. Thank you all so much for keeping this podcast going. If you'd like to support this podcast too, please hit the like, follow, or subscribe button, or give us five stars or a positive review wherever you're listening and share this with your friends. You can also subscribe to Radiate You, our private Facebook group for bonus content, including classes and meditations. Another way to support our podcast is to go to radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash podcast and click on the donate now button. However you support us, we greatly appreciate it. And thanks for listening. What type of, what type of things have you been seeing? Like, um, can you give a few success stories? Oh, yeah. Um, there's so many success stories. Uh, I will try to go through uh, some of them with you. For example, uh, the first chapter in the book, one of the eight thinking traps is uh, entitled self-love. Yeah. So it's about the fact that an enormous number of people don't love themselves. And you know, I mean, I guess if I asked a patient, oh, you know, do you love yourself? You know, the obvious answer for most people would be, of course, I love myself. You know, I, I take good care of myself and I, you know, treat myself to some new clothing every once in a while. And I, you know, try to eat well. And, you know, people don't necessarily realize, although some do, people don't necessarily realize that deep, deep in their subconscious that they actually don't love themselves. Mm -hmm. 
maybe they know why. Maybe they don't know why. Maybe they know that their dad was super critical and always told them certain things. And then they realized, oh, I'm not a good person or, you know, I'm not lovable. And they disconnect from themselves. Or maybe they have no idea where that came to be. I don't focus on that. I don't focus on the why, the how, the who, the when. I mean, if you really want to understand that, that's a good a good place for talk therapy. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like, well, whatever. You got here, and here's where we are. So let's start with where we are. And so it comes that when we find that somebody doesn't love themselves, and this is maybe an amalgamation of numerous patients, but I'll give you kind of how that plays out for many people, When I don't love myself, what happens? First of all, there's a big empty space inside of me that's painful because without my own love of myself, I feel a lack of love. So when I feel a lack of love, what do I do? I try desperately to fill that empty space with love from the outside. The problem is when I don't love myself, I can't accept anyone else's love. That's the irony there, right? If I don't love myself, the faucet is turned off. And even if somebody else would love me to the moon and back, if I don't believe that I'm lovable and I don't love myself, I am not able to let that love in. So that empty space remains unfilled. And in my desperate attempt to feel better, I will do anything I need to do to try to get that love from the outside, even though I don't quite understand that I can't ever even receive it. So what might I do to get that love from the outside? Well, often this results in people who have poor boundaries with others. So we all know people like this, right? Mm -hmm. People who are going to bend over backwards to be helpful, to be considerate, to be thoughtful, to go out of their way. They don't really feel like saying yes, but they always sing that yes. They don't say no. They don't set a boundary. They don't take care of themselves. They're all about everybody else. And they do that in a, in a way of justifying their behaviors by thinking that they're such a good person. And other people think, oh, yeah, she's such a good person. But actually, these people are really unhappy underneath because they don't ever set boundaries and take care of them themselves well. And they're so desperate to get the love, the acknowledgement and the appreciation from others, which they don't usually get. So they're resentful. And even if they do get, they can't really take it in because they don't love themselves. That this is the kind of person who's deeply angry and resentful. And when you speak to people who are like this, and you start to unwind that, wow, the nickel starts to drop. And then we say, gee, how would it look if you actually did love yourself and you deeply and truly loved yourself? And then for sure, it's nice to have other people love you, but it's not a need. It's not a desperate need. It's a want, right? And a need and a want are very different things because then if we want it, It's very different than needing it. When we need it, we're desperate to get it. We're going to get it at all costs, right? Because it's a matter of survival. When we want it, it's like, well, I love myself and I'm good with me. And of course, I want people to love me. But guess what? Then it's authentic because I'm not giving in order to get. I'm giving because I'm full and I already have. And so there's an energy difference there in a relationship, right? And then when we get the love back, we can receive it. 
So it's a double benefit. Does that make any sense? As <laughs> a matter of fact, so that can really hinge on so many things and put so many other things into place. Once we've got that one key, um, that one key component in place, yes. right? Yeah, so that's an example of a belief that somebody might not have. The belief would be, "I love myself," mm-hmm. right? And there are, of course, any other there are any other beliefs that we could come up with, right? You know, often when I have a patient come in and we talk about what's going on for them and where they're stuck and where their story lies. You know, we start to search around for what is it that you might believe in your subconscious that's supporting the way you're looking at things, that's supporting your perception of what's going on in your life. Because, of course, we can have a 100 perceptions of any set of circumstances. And if we choose to perceive things in a way that make us suffer, we have to ask ourselves, well, what do I believe deep down that's, you know, causing me to choose this way of looking at these circumstances, which cause me a lot of pain? So how do I get out of that pain? I can't always change the circumstances, but I can change the perception of them. Mm-hmm. So how do I go about doing that? I try to find out what's underneath, what's in my subconscious mind, what's in my belief system that's causing me to see it this way. And once I understand that, is there a better belief? Is there another perception I can have of the situation that would be equally true, but less painful? And And nobody realizes that they have this option, right? We think, okay, this thing's happening and it feels like this and I feel stuck and I'm miserable and I'm unhappy, period, end of story. Now what? Right. Nothing. (laughs) Exactly. This is the way it was. These are the facts and this is the way it was. What they're not realizing is they can look at it differently. They're missing, they may be missing part of the picture. Right. So can I shift myself Mm -hmm. and see something better? Because I think that, you know, another chapter in the book, uh, Emotional Repatterning, is called Responsibility. Okay, and so what's the point of this thinking trap, right? So the thinking trap of responsibility is that we often don't take responsibility for what's going on in our lives, right? He did this and she makes me feel like that and he fired me and they always annoy me and they treat me badly and, you know, I didn't get selected for this promotion because it's an old boys club in my company and they never, you know, promote women or, I mean, these are all things I've heard from various patients, right? So when it's about somebody else, when it's always about everybody else, I'm stuck. Because the sad truth is I can't change anybody and God, I've tried. (laughs) (laughs) No, that is true. All you can change is yourself. Right. And so that is responsibility, right? When When I realize the more I own in any situation, the more I empower myself, Right. So it's not about owning part of the situation to self blame or self criticize. No, that's not the point. I want to own as much of any dynamic or any situation that I can so that it empowers me because the more that's mine, the more I can change, the more that it's out there and the fault of other people, the more a victim I am and the less flexibility I have to do anything good for myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So how did you, 
come to this work? Was there a personal stressor, a personal issue that you needed to work through to get to this? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yes, there was. I mean, isn't there always, you know, and that's why, you know, sometimes you, you speak to a cancer patient post their cancer and you say, wow, that must have been tough. And they say, you know, it was the hardest thing I ever lived through. And although I would never have wished it on myself, uh, I'm a completely different person having gone through it. I'm completely transformed. Right. So we know people, we know many people who live through difficulties and, you know, it's horrible and it rips them apart, but they emerge almost like out of the cocoon as a butterfly with some perspective they didn't have. And I, I would say that that happened to me because really? when my son was 10, which is over six years ago, he was diagnosed with leukemia. Oh and that was tough because uh, his dad and I are both naturopathic doctors and, you know, do everything like so naturally. <laughs> right. So, you know, we are, you know, we raised our kids like really, you know, the best food and no medications and homeopathic remedies and herbs. And, you know, we did like such, I thought, a great job of giving them, you know, the, the healthiest and the best. And then, you know, to have my kid get the worst deal possible in the deck of cards was, you know, completely, you know, shocking and unfair, it seemed. It's like, how could this be happening to us? You know, we... Right. We thought we knew all about how to raise these kids and then give them the best health. So talk about a, a, a hit on the head. And, you know, it was a very aggressive leukemia. And as it turns out, childhood leukemias are the most successfully cured cancers in children in the conventional system with like a 90% success rate. Wow. So there was no chance that I was going to not do that. Uh, because 90% is a huge number. So right. it went against every value that I have, you know, to bring my son into the medical system where they were going to be unloading bags and bags of chemo over two years into his veins, which, you know, was non-exaggeration. Um, but 90% was persuasive. So, you know, just sucked it up and just went, went with it. And, you know, he's, he's alive now and he's a, a happy, healthy 16 and a half year old, almost 17, actually. Wow. And, you know, it worked. But I can tell you it was two years of absolute hell, as you can imagine. I can well imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, I think going through that, you know, when you go through a trauma and such prolonged suffering like that, it just rips you open. And, I mean, you know, good came out of it. Although, as we said, I would never have wished that on him or on us as a family. I mean, for me, something changed deeply in my own self, and I'm not even sure how to describe it. But I feel that I became much more heart-centered, which, of course, allowed me to approach my patients in a, a more authentic way on the emotional level. But I also, I think, uh, developed my sense of intuition uh, better. And I don't really know how to tell you that that came about, but I feel often in my work that I just understand certain things with the people that I'm working with that I don't know how I know, but I know 
what the core of the issue is. It's just like you get a sense, you get a hit of, okay, this is what's going on underneath. Mm -hmm. and it's often the case and that has helped me be really effective in the work and it's also helped me write the book (laughs) well that's a really good point too right because we are not alone when we're doing this work and it sounds like you really stepped into yourself and what you were meant to do through this tragedy yes you know it's true I've, I've always loved my work but in the past five, six years that I've been doing more of this work, mm-hmm. I really feel like one of my girlfriends said, she says, you're, you look like you're on your ex. I had never heard that expression before, but like, you know, that you're sitting on your ex at the cross of where the ex crosses, you're right there. And that is exactly how I feel. It's like, wow, this is just for me so exciting. And I'm so passionate about the work Uh, First of all, because it's fun. I mean, it's just fun to have things change quickly. You know, we're not used to stuff on the emotional realm changing quickly. But it's also really fun for me to have patients write me emails and say, oh, my God, my life has changed, like, almost effortlessly. Because, you know, after years of saying affirmations and doing meditations and writing goals for themselves and making, you know, plans and never following through with the weight loss or the divorce that they wanted to do or the, you know, all the multitude of things that we say we're going to do and never do, they find it's almost effortless now to show up differently and just make those changes. There's no effort there because what was holding them back all along was their conscious mind had an idea of what it wanted to do, but the subconscious had these old beliefs that were limiting beliefs. So it was one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake, so nobody was going anywhere. When we went in underneath and we tried to uncover what are these beliefs that you might have in your subconscious mind that are holding you back from moving forward, and we then changed the beliefs, rewired the brain so that we replaced those beliefs with something more up-to-date, something better, then all the obstacles to them going forward was removed. So then it was just like, oh, okay, full speed ahead. And so when I hear these success stories, it's like, well, I mean, what can be more gratifying than that? It was just, it's amazing. That is truly amazing. So do you still practice naturopathy? That's a good question. I do. I mean, I would say half my practice is, you know, homeopathy and half my practice is more the emotional repatterning work. Uh, and sometimes there are patients who do both, you know, because sometimes, you know, we do have physical illnesses and, you know, homeopathy is amazing in terms of addressing all of that in a holistic and easy, um, simple, straightforward way. Uh, but when there are patients who like, are struggling uh, with their marriage, with their weight loss, with getting a promotion, with, with um, you know, how they feel about themselves. Well, then I I understand that, you know, maybe homeopathy, as much as I love it, isn't going to go there and that I need to complement that therapy with something much more targeted and specific. And so that's where, you know, the two are often complementary. Right, exactly. Because as you said, the body and mind do work together in tandem. Right. Um, And you have really taken on this this message in a big way of course with the um you know with your book but also you've been on dr oz and you've uh conscious living radio 
so many right. different things, right? Do you do you how do you feel that people are receiving this message today? Right. Well, that's a great question. I'd love to get more feedback about it because when you do a podcast, you know, it goes out into the ethers and you don't necessarily get to get to hear about it. But what? I would say, um, you know, just in my own personal work in my office with patients or on, on Zoom, which I, you know, now with COVID, we're doing a lot more of that. Right. Um, I, I feel, um, I don't know what the word is. I feel like the word would be grateful. I, I'm, I'm actually grateful to be able to show up in this capacity with people and make uh, with them such profound and life-changing changes in honestly three sessions <laughs> we're talking about maybe three to four hours of working together and I don't see people again after that I mean we're, you know that's you asked me earlier how is this different than therapy well there's a lot of ways it's different than therapy but you know when somebody goes into therapy they think they're you know they're looking at two years at a minimum of you know just getting to the bottom of it all right uh, and in this work, because we're not delving into the why and the who and what happened and you were five and you were 10 and your mother said that and your dad said this. And I mean, you know, yeah, right. It happened. You know, I have my story. You have your story. We all lived it. You know, the details are different. Nobody had the great childhood. Everybody had things, whether we are conscious of them or not. We all lived through things that weren't exactly the way we wish them to be. So do we want to spend time digging all that up? I don't know, at this point in my life, it's like, I just would rather feel good. You know, let's just move on with the thing. <laughs> right. I would just rather cut to the chase with that. Exactly. Now, you, you mentioned Zoom. Of course, we're talking today on Zoom. Do you, are you seeing patients, um, like, outside of the Montreal area? Yeah, we do plenty of uh, work on Zoom. You know, yes, I, I've, well, we've all come to love Zoom in the past year. Right. So, but you can see people around the world, really. Yes, and, and I do. I have patients everywhere. You know, it's only, only accounting for the time difference. That's, you know, that's the hardest part. But, you know, I feel that uh, it, although it's, you know, uh, not as a natural a format as being together one-on-one, -on -one, you know, you can still easily make a very good connection with people, you know, on, on Zoom. And we can still, I'm very direct. Maybe you've figured that out already. Maybe it's my New York background. I cut to the chase anyway as a person. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty direct. I'm, I'm somewhat intuitive. So I kind of like to get to it right away. I don't like to beat around the bush. So, you know, we get into it right away. At least that's my preference of how to do things because I'm an impatient person by nature and I don't like wasting time. And it's like, let's just, let's just, get there, let's understand it, let's hammer it out, let's make the changes, let's get the insights, let's develop some kind of an action plan, and let's take a deep breath after the end of that and then see how we show up differently in our lives and what things around us just shift. And wow, that's so exciting when we see how almost easy it is after being stuck for so long. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I was... I don't know why this didn't occur to me to ask before, but do you use any type of tool or implement to measure where people are in their brain? Does that even make sense? Yeah. Well, that, yes, it's a great question, actually. 
So there's two things I talk about in my book, um, emotional repatterning. So one is the method of testing to find out what our subconscious beliefs are. Absolutely. Right? So it's not just me guessing or, you know, it's hard for the person to tell you because by definition, these beliefs are subconscious. So you don't know what they are. They're underneath your consciousness, right? So I can't say to you, oh, Christy, what are your subconscious beliefs? You'd be like, I don't know. I can tell you what I think I believe in my conscious mind. But nobody actually knows. We may suspect that there's some things there based on our patterns or things like that, but we don't actually know. So one thing we like to do is do a test to find out what it is I actually do believe deeply. And then the second thing that's offered in the book is a technique for how at home you can start to do this deep learning process where you are teaching yourself how to believe something better for you, right? And, and, and replacing maybe some old beliefs that are in there from childhood with beliefs that make more sense in 2021. Like, who am I today? And why am I carrying around that bag of rocks in this 50-pound backpack from when I was five and somebody screamed at me and or when I was six or eight or whatever and I, I had these kind of impressions about myself from a child's view of the world not realizing my parents were having a bad day or that teacher has an anger management problem, right? When we're young, we think it's our fault. Right. Because these adults, they're so big and they seem like they know what they're doing. So if there's a problem, it must be us. And so we take that on. And so this is the work. It's to really try to discover what's underneath and try to go in there and replace and upgrade some of those old old beliefs and these old patterns so that we can show up more authentically today with who we really have become. So that's one great thing I think about the book. It's not just these ideas of, okay, we have these problems and, you know, we need to look at these thinking traps and we need to, you know, work with them. It's also an instruction on how to change our subconscious beliefs by engaging on the right and the left sides of the brain for deep learning. And that's the kind of cool part. So, of course, in my office, we might be a bit more elaborate or on Zoom or whatever, you know, format we would use. But, you know, in terms of like a take home tool, something that you can do at home, I think it's fairly well explained and laid out there, which is great. So the reader actually has, you know, some action step that they can take to try to make a big change. Wow, that's that is really important and very very helpful. Um, and you mentioned before it's like you're looking for feedback on this on this method, yeah. looking for feedback on the book, etc. So I would challenge anybody listening right now to this podcast or watching on YouTube um, to examine this in yourselves. Maybe pick up a copy of the book. And again, the book is called Emotional Repatterning. Uh, rewiring the brain. Help me with the, I don't have it right here in front of me. Yeah, Healing Emotional Pain by Rewiring the Brain. There you go. Healing Emotional Pain by Rewiring the Brain. And so, yeah, I would ask anybody listening uh, to check out Lisa's websites. So would you like to plug your websites? Sure. It's lisasamet, S-A-M-E-T, dot com. Easy enough. That's easy enough. And then you've got a new one, the emotional repatterning.ca. Yeah, so that's another one. So we're having, you know, that's that's really relatively new as the book is actually shipping this week. 
so we are gathering testimonials and we are gathering um, different insights from the book, little quotes. I also have an Instagram account, Lisa Samet ND, and I'm putting little quotes and little snippets from the book, little, you know, wise words. Hopefully people find them wise uh, on some posts there. So, you know, people are kind of getting a little teaser, a little taste of the book. Oh, that's wonderful. So we can put all of that in the show notes. Um, and we are recording this uh, today, March 23rd, but the your episode will be out um, after the book is fully launched, but it'll be still brand spanking new. And <laughs> lots of great stuff out there about your book. I can highly recommend picking it up. I think it's very useful, very helpful. Um, and your website, your lisasamet.com, is full of information. Full of. Oh, work. I'm glad you found it helpful. Yeah, we try to we try to keep it updated, and you know, try to elaborate as much as we can on there. Oh yeah, oh it's quite helpful. Um, as a matter of fact, um, because it goes into your uh, naturopath work, the homeopathy um, goes into the emotional repatterning as well. Also, fertility enhancement. That is a hot topic and a real specialty type of topic. And then your your um, your interviews with Dr. Oz on the Dr. Oz show are also on there. So that is really helpful. Um, no, and you've got your blog too. So no, I think this is is a very very helpful overview of all the wonderful things you do, and of course, um, you know your book is available or will be by the time this episode drops uh, from Zero Books, which is a division of John Hunt Publishing. Wonderful. Yes. You can probably find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all of it, all it's the places. All there. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much for radiating peace with us. I think we can find a lot of peace from rewiring our emotions and rewiring our brain. Thank Great. You. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to talk to you about it and uh, very exciting. Yeah, me too. Me too. Radiate Wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the Kansas City area dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network 
or wherever you get your podcasts.